Mark chapter 4, verses 14 through 41, verses 14 through 20. The sower soweth the word, and these are they by the wayside, where the word is sown. But when they have heard, Satan cometh immediately, and taketh away the word that was sown in their hearts. And these are they likewise, which were sown unto stony ground, who, when they have heard the word, immediately receive it with gladness, and have no root in themselves, and so endure but for a time. Afterward, when affliction or persecution arises for the word's sake, immediately they are offended. And these are they which are sown among thorns, such as hear the word, and the cares of this world, and the deceitfulness of riches, and the lust of other things entering in, choke the word, and it becometh unfruitful. And these are they which are sown on good ground, such as hear the word, and receive it, and bring forth fruit, some thirtyfold, some sixty, some a hundred. Burkett notes, Here our Savior applies himself to interpret and explain the foregoing parable. The seed is the word, the sower is the preacher, the soil is the heart and soul of man. Some hearers Christ compares to the highway ground, in which the seed lies uncovered for the want of the harrow of meditation. Others to stony ground, in which the word has no root, no root in their understanding, in their memories, wills, and affections that they are instantly offended, either at the depth and profoundness of the word, or at the sanctity and strictness of the word, or else at the plainness and simplicity of it. Again, some hearers our Lord compares to thorny ground. Worldly and covetous desires are as thorns choking the good seed. They shadow the blade when sprung up, keep off the influence of the sun, and draw away the fatness of the soil from the seed. All these mischievous effects have thorns among the seed and the like ill effects have worldly affections and covetous desires in the soul of man, rendering the seed of the word unfruitful and unprofitable. But the good Christian hears the word attentively, keeps it retentively, believes it steadfastly, applies it particularly, practices it universally, and brings forth fruit preservingly. Learn, one, that no hearers are in Christ's account good hearers of the word, but such as bring forth fruit answerable to their hearing. Two, that a person may be a good hearer of the word in Christ's account if he bring forth the best fruit he can, though it be not in so great a proportion as others do. As some grounds bring forth thirty, some sixty, and some a hundredfold, in like manner do all sincere hearers of the word. They all bring forth fruit, though not all alike, all in sincerity, though not all equally, and none to perfection. It is Theophylactic's note on the place, How small is the number of good men, and how few are saved, for only the fourth part of the seed fell upon good ground and was preserved. Others observe a gradation here. The seed sown in the highway comes not up at all. That on stony ground comes up, but increaseth not. That among thorns increaseth, but bears no fruit. Only that seed which fell on good ground brings forth fruit unto perfection. Verses 21 through 25. And he said unto them, Is a candle brought to put under a bushel or under a bed, and not to be set on a candlestick? For there is nothing hid which shall not be manifested. Neither was anything kept secret, but that it should come abroad. If any man have ears to hear, let him hear. And he said unto them, Take heed what you hear. With what measure ye meet, it shall be measured to you. And unto you that hear shall more be given. For he that hath 
to him shall be given, and he that hath not from him shall be taken even that which he hath. Burkett notes, Observe here, one, the end and design of Christ in revealing his word and will to his disciples, and in communicating to them the light of spiritual knowledge, namely, that they may communicate it to others and not keep it close unto themselves, even as the light in a house diffuses and disperses its light to all that come within reach of it, in like manner ought all Christians, and particularly Christ's ministers, by the light of light and doctrine, to direct persons in their way towards heaven. Such as are enlightened by God in any measure, with the knowledge and understanding of his word, ought not to conceal and hide this knowledge within themselves, but communicate it to others, and employ it for the good and benefit of others. Observe, too, the cautionary direction given by Christ to his disciples, to take heed how they hear the word, such as would profit by hearing of the word, must diligently attend to the matter of the doctrine which they hear, and also to the manner how they hear. Such is the majesty and authority of the person that speaks to us in the word, such is the sublimity and spirituality of the matter, and so great is our danger if we miscarry under the word that it nearly concerns us to take heed both what we hear and how we hear. Observe 3. The argument which our saviors make use of to quicken his disciples to communicate the knowledge and improve the grace they had received for the good and benefit of others. To him that hath shall be given, that is, such as improve their spiritual gifts shall have them increased, such as improve them not shall have them blasted. Learn hence that the best course we can take to increase and thrive in grace is to exercise and improve it. He that hides his talent doth not only forfeit it, but is in danger of being punished severely for the non-improvement of it. Verses 26 through 29. And he said, So is the kingdom of God, as if a man should cast seed into the ground, and should sleep and rise night and day, and the seed should spring and grow up, he knoweth not how. For the earth bringeth forth fruit of herself, first the blade, then the ear, after that the full corn in the ear. But when the fruit is brought forth, immediately he putteth in the sickle, because the harvest is come. Burkett notes, This parable of our Savior's is an instructive lesson to the ministers of the gospel, faithfully to do their parts in sowing the seed of the word amongst their people, and then not to be over-solicitous about the event, but to leave the issue to God. Not to be discouraged, though the fruits of their labor doth not presently appear. Accordingly, Christ propounds the laborious husbandman to his minister's imitation. As the husbandman, when he is prudently and painfully cast his seed into the ground, is not anxiously disquieted, but goes to bed and rests in hope, and at the length the corn springs up, first the blade, then the ear, then the grain. In like manner, let the ministers of God do their duty without discouragement. In the morning, sow their seed, and in the evening, not withhold their hand. And although the seed sown doth not appear presently, it may not in our days, but seems rotting among the clods, yet may it appear afterwards with a plentiful increase, when our own heads are laid among the clods. Verifying that saying of our Savior, one soweth and another reapeth. Learn here, one, that the ministry of the word is the ordinary, the necessary, and the principal means which God has appointed for sowing the seed of grace in the hearts of his people. So is the kingdom of God, as if a man should cast seed into the ground. Two, that the virtue and efficacy of the word preached 
doth not depend upon the parts of a man, but upon the power of God. The seed springeth up, he knoweth not how. Learn three, that the word of God sincerely preached may be successful, though not be presently successful. The seed sown in one minister's day may spring up in another's. Happy we, if as God's husbandsmen we be employed in plowing, sowing, or reaping. Our Lord will reward us not according to our success, but according to our endeavors. The care and endeavor is ours, but the blessing and success is God's. Verses 30-34 And he said, Whereunto shall we liken the kingdom of God? With what comparison shall we compare it? It's like a grain of mustard seed, which when it is sown in the earth, is less than all the seeds that be in the earth. But when it is sown, it groweth up, and becometh greater than all the herbs, and shooteth out great branches, so that the fowls of the air may lodge under the shadow of it. And with many such parables spake he the word unto them, as they were able to hear it. But without a parable spake he not unto them. And when they were alone, he expounded all things to his disciples. Burkett notes, The design of our Savior in this parable is to show how the gospel church, from small and little, from unlikely and contemptible beginnings, should spread and increase, fructify and grow up, like as a mustard seed, one of the smallest of grains, grows up to a considerable tallness. Even so, Christ foretells that the gospel should spread and increase, nations and countries becoming Christians. Hence learn that how small beginnings soever the gospel had in its first plantation, Yet by the fructifying blessing of God, it has had, and shall have, a wonderful increase. Verses 35-41 to 41. And the same day, when the even was come, he saith unto them, Let us pass over to the other side. And when they had sent away the multitude, they took him even as he was in the ship. And there were also with him other little ships. And there arose a great storm of wind, and the waves beat into the ship, so that it was now full. And he was in the hinder part of the ship, asleep on a pillow. And they awake him, and say unto him, Master, carest thou not that we perish? And he arose, and rebuked the wind, and said unto the sea, Peace, be still. And the wind ceased, and there was a great calm. And he said unto them, Why are you so fearful? How is it that you have no faith? And they feared exceedingly, and said to one another, what manner of man is this, that even the wind and the sea obey him? Burkett notes, Here one, our Savior and his disciples, no sooner put forth the sea, but dangers attend and difficulties do accompany them. A tempest arose, and the ship was covered with waves, which Christ himself was in with his disciples. Learn hence that the presence of Christ himself does not exempt his disciples and followers from trouble and danger. Here is a great tempest about the disciples' ears, though Christ himself was in their company. Observe, too, the posture our Savior was in when this tempest arose. He, being wearied with the labors of the day, was laid down on a pillow to sleep at night, thereby showing himself to be truly and really man, and that as he took upon him human nature, so he assumed the infirmities of our nature also, as weariness and pain, hunger and thirst. Observe, three, the disciples' application made to Christ. They wake him with a sad outcry. Master, carest thou not that we perish? Here was faith mixed with human frailty. They believed that he could save them, but being asleep, they concluded he must be awakened before they can be saved by him. Whereas, though his human nature was asleep, yet his divine nature neither slumbered nor slept. Learn hence 
that the prevalence of fear in a time of great and imminent danger, though it may argue weakness of faith, yet is no evidence of total want of faith. In the midst of the disciples' fear, they believed Christ's power. Observe 4. A double rebuke given by our Savior, first to the winds, next to the fear of his disciples. He rebukes the winds, and instantly they are calm. When the sea was as furious as a madman, Christ, with a single word, calms it. Learn, hence, that the most raging winds and outrageous seas cannot stand before the rebukes of Christ. Christ, as God, lays a law upon the most lawless creatures, even when they seem to act most lawlessly. Observe farther, Christ rebukes his disciples' fears. Why are ye fearful? No sooner was the storm up, but their fears were up, and they forgot that the Lord High Admiral of the Ocean was on board the ship, and were as much overset with their boisterous passion as the vessel was with the tempestuous winds. And accordingly, Christ rebukes the tempest within, before the storm without. First, he calms their hearts, then he quiets the seas. From this instance of the disciples, we may gather that great faith in the habit may appear little in the act and exercise. The disciples' faith in forsaking all and following Christ was great faith, but in this present act, their faith was weak through the prevalency of their fears. Oh, the imperfect composition of the best of saints! Faith and fear will take their turns and act their parts whilst we are upon the stage of this world. Ere long, our fear will be vanquished and our faith swallowed up in vision. Lord, set our souls a longing for that joyful hour.